Welcome to Minnesota Matters. I'm Scott Peterson, and I'm joined by MNN's Bill Werner, Tasha Radel, and Mike Grimm. We're going to delve into what's going on in the North Star State. If it matters in Minnesota, we've got it covered. This week, I talked to Senator Al Franken about the Democratic Washington, D.C. sit-in to reform gun laws. Tasha Radel has the scoop on new state fair foods for 2016. And Mike Grimm has a chat with TV voice of the twins, Dick Bremer. But first, the prospects for a special session are not good after Governor Dayton met with Republican legislative leaders behind closed doors this week. I begin to think that the Republican caucuses don't want a special session. They'd rather just play politics with this. I'm beginning to believe that Democrats don't want a special session, that they think they'd like to play the blame game for the for the election. I'm joined now by MNN's Bill Werner. A bonding bill for state construction projects died amid partisan wrangling in the closing seconds of the legislative session. That bill is still dead, and leaders aren't having much success reviving it, are they, Bill? You certainly have that right, Scott. In the latest round of talks this week, which probably did not go as far as negotiations, Republicans brought a couple new demands to the table, a controversial tax credit for private schooling, which smacks of vouchers, and a controversial measure in which the state would override any municipal ordinances that increase the minimum wage over and above the state minimum wage. The governor says Republicans pushed the two sides even further apart. Republicans say if Dayton can come to the table with fresh demands for more spending, they can ask for other items, too. For an assessment of where to from here, we talked with a top analyst on legislative politics, Hamlin University Professor David Schultz. Professor, uh, what would you put the chances now that we had the uh, the blow up, and some people will say the obligatory blow up, uh, just a little bit shy of the Fourth of July? What are the chances of us actually having a special session? Do you think? At this point, it looks like it's somewhere between um, no chance and zero percent chance. At this point, <laughs> um, I would be really surprised if we have a special session um, because it looks like at this point that the closer and closer it gets to the 2016 elections, um, the more and more um, politicized any session would be. And I think at this point that both the Democrats and Republicans would find it better to go into an election complaining about a lack of special session than actually going into a special session and trying to solve anything. What, what happened here in the, uh, in the negotiations uh, on Tuesday, was that a blow-up move by Republicans where they, they said that they, they want to talk about uh, the issue of a, of a school tax credit uh, for, for private institutions, in other words, basically a vouchers, uh, uh, at, at least it has much of those characteristics to it, and also the issue of preemption, which would basically say that the state says to municipalities who want to raise the minimum wage beyond what the state minimum wage is, no, you can't do that. That's something the business community wants. Um, is, is that essentially a blow-up uh, uh, move in the negotiations? Well, it's a blow-up move, but it's also it's a pan- either pandering or appealing to the Republican base at this point. Yeah. I think the Republicans have probably already made a decision at this point that they're not going to go along with Governor Dayton's demands um, in terms of light rail funding for the Southwest Corridor, um, in terms of a couple of other things. And I think now what they're trying to do is to say, what issues can we put on the agenda um, that will um, get our base excited and that we can run on in terms of the 2016 election? Well, let's, let's talk, explore that a little bit further. And Hamlin Professor David Schultz is with us. 
As we go into the summer campaign season, which I guess, well, it's already started, but it really starts in earnest after the 4th of July. It kind of kicks off with the parades and so on. And, and the legislative candidates then are out there making their pitches to voters. Who potentially has more benefit to this? And I assume Republicans' argument on this is going to be we had a, uh, we had a tax cut bill and the governor didn't sign it and he used a technicality to not sign it, and he won't even call us back in a special session to fix it. Instead, he wants more spending. I assume that's going to be their argument on the campaign trail? I think it's going to be the argument to say that we promised tax cuts uh, for a variety of different people, and the governor and the Democrats didn't go along with it. Uh, but I also think that the Republicans are sensitive to the fact that that there were a couple of other major issues that had to get done, the bonding bill as well as the transportation bill, and they didn't get done. And so I think the Republicans um, feel sensitive to the fact that they have to sort of address that issue with their constituents in terms of saying, you know, here's why we didn't do something. And so now they can sort of go on the offensive by saying, well, we want to put the issue of, of vouchers, we want to put the issue of, of preemption on the agenda, and, and sort of deflect away from the possible issues that Governor Dayton and the Democrats would use against him. We, we've talked about the Republicans and what their argument's going to be on the campaign trail without a special session, likely. Um, what, what about the Democrats? Do, do they focus in on that, hey, we tried to get you a bonding bill uh, for state construction projects, public works projects, and, uh, and, the, and the Republicans threw up roadblocks? Or what is going to be their best argument that could p- potentially stick with the electorate uh, uh, as, they, as they continue in the campaign? I think it's going to be potholes bridges and bonding projects. So what I mean by that, yeah. the transportation bill, they're going to point to all these different um, potholes, dangerous bridges, bad intersections across the state of Minnesota and say, and these are the kind of projects that you want in your own home district to be fixed. The Republicans wouldn't go along with that. So I think they're, they're, going, to, they're going to do that, but they're also going to do something else. They're going to nationalize the legislative races. And by that, I think mm-hmm. you're going to see mm-hmm. the Democrats try to tie the Republicans to Donald Trump um, in an effort to say, well, you know, that if you, know, if, you, if you love Trump, you're going to certainly love, you know, the Republicans here because he's their party nominee. Well, Professor Schultz, let me ask you one final question. Who uh, benefits more uh, from the way this whole thing has gone Probably no special session. Do the Republicans benefit more, or do the Democrats benefit more in the fall elections? I think the Democrats, but more specifically, I think it's the governor that benefits more. Because Mm -hmm. if the governor um, can paint the Republicans as obstructionists, again, on transportation, on on the bonding bill, on on a whole bunch of other issues, um, and if he's successful in terms of, of, of his argument, he has a unified Democratic legislature for his last two years in office. He gets to do whatever he wants at that point. And, and do you think that that, that position uh, is stronger, ultimately, carries more weight with voters in the fall election than Republicans' arguments, which is going, going to be that hey, we had tax relief queued up for you, and, and the governor torpedoed it. I think it's, I think it's a, a little bit stronger argument, and mm. I say that because the Republicans are going to have to make the case that, in fact, the bill that went to the governor's desk really was going to provide tax relief because yeah. I think a lot of people were not really paying attention um, in the sense of, you know, this is, a, this, is, this is inside baseball going back and forth between the governor and the legislature. Professor Enlightening, as always, thanks for being with us.
No problem, anytime. That's Hamlin University Professor David Schultz. And Scott, we'll have to see what happens, but the chances of a special session seem to be shrinking the closer we get to the 4th of July. And I know you'll keep us posted as to whether there will be any legislative fireworks in the meantime. Thanks, Bill. More Minnesota Matters after this. Your surgery is over. Oh, it's over? What happened? Hi, Mr. Detweiler. Dr. Newman here. You have a new knee. It went great. You'll be up and around before you know it. And it's all because of you. Uh, what did I do? You were captain of Team Detweiler. You told us everything we needed to know. Your medical history, your allergies and prescription meds. You asked me tons of questions. What your options to surgery might be, what to expect during recovery. You even asked me how many knee replacements I've already done. Huh, I guess I did kind of run the whole operation, didn't I? Mr. Detweiler, we couldn't have done it without you. Patient safety. It takes a team. And patient involvement is key. A public service message from the American Academy of Orthopedic Surgeons. With more tips at orthoinfo.org slash patient safety. Welcome back to Minnesota Matters. I'm Scott Peterson. We are absolutely united in bringing a vote to end this gun violence. Congressman Keith Ellison joined other House and Senate Democrats, including Minnesota Senators Amy Klobuchar and Al Franken and Representatives Rick Nolan and Betty McCollum this week to stage a sit-in demanding gun reform in the U.S. Rick Nolan said what they're asking for is pretty common sense. People who have sworn uh, allegiance and alliance with terrorist groups that have made it clear they want to kill Americans. Because of that, they have been denied the right to uh, fly on airplanes, which I, I, I think is appropriate. And I don't think they should be allowed to go and buy a gun. But House Speaker Paul Ryan told CNN on Wednesday, This is nothing more than a publicity stunt. That's point number one. Point number two is this bill was already defeated in the United States Senate. Number three, we are not going to take away a citizen's due process rights. We're not going to take away a citizen's constitutional rights without due process. Uh, that was already defeated in the Senate, and this is not a way to try and bring up legislation. Senator Al Franken, as I mentioned, was part of the sit-in, and I recently spoke to him about it. This was an historic event in, in the U.S. Capitol. I, I don't know if there's ever been a, a, a sit-in like this. I, I joined Congressman John Lewis, who was a monumental figure in the civil rights movement, along with a large group of um, uh, Democratic representatives and senators came over to, to, at, at a sit-in demonstration on the House floor. And this was about you know, taking action on on the gun violence, the horrific violence that we've seen a number of times, the latest, of course, in Orlando, and that, uh, you know, a vast majority of Americans, 90%, favor these common sense um, gun control uh, laws, which is uh, just denying someone who's on a terrorist watch list uh, the ability to buy a gun, and then cl closing the background check loopholes on, you know, you can now buy a weapon online and you can go to a gun show without being checked. And we, we just think that everybody should be checked so that people who are mentally ill don't 
uh, can't get a gun, people who've been convicted of, of, of fel felonies and serve more than a year in prison, people who have domestic violence histories, that kind of thing. And right now, the, the whole system is so porous that uh, we, we see people like this uh, killer in, in, in Orlando just being able to get a gun, even though he had been, the FBI had been following him or had been checking on him because they suspect him of having uh, terrorist leanings. And all we were saying is the American people want a vote, want us to do something about this. And Speaker Ryan, he did a moment of silence, but silence isn't the answer here. Uh, one thing that Speaker Ryan wasn't silent about is he was pretty vocal in calling it a publicity stunt. What was, what's your reaction to that? This is the same thing happened when Senator Murphy from Connecticut uh, did the filibuster in the House, and it was called a political move or a political stunt or a partisan stunt. What happened was it got us votes, and while the first four measures came up or voted down, uh, I think we may have something that is a bipartisan piece that's been worked on by Senator Collins and Heidi Heitkamp of North Dakota that might be something that at least gets us a progress forward that reflects the, the, the will of the American people. The American people, by 90%, want to see some common-sense gun control. And Speaker Ryan also said that what folks were asking for is essentially taking away people's constitutional rights and depriving them of due process. How do you respond to that? Uh, this would not take due process away from people. That, that I think, is a phony, phony argument. People would have plenty of due process. If they were on a watch list and the gun was, you know, they were denied, say, to get a, uh, an assault weapon or something like that. They could say, well, I shouldn't be on this assault list, and that can get adjudicated. The, the only thing is is that we've seen, uh, you know, we, we had a bill to do just that, to, to provide a way of someone having their um, their presence on the list adjudicated. What we weren't for is that it had to be done in three days. Senator, you said earlier that it was historically significant what, what happened. Can you just tell me, describe what it felt like in the room while you were there? Well, you know, I, I'm not a creature of the House of Representatives. I'm in the Senate, but I, I came over, and since it was a sit-in, I, I sat on the floor. <laughs> and so uh, it, it just seemed like people were very motivated to try to represent their their constituencies. Uh, I didn't get up and speak. I'm a senator. This is the House of Representatives, so I was just there supporting them. But they seem very, very much um, aware that people in the country are ha have really decided that we need some just basic common sense gun control, and that's what this was really about. And it was sort of uh, you know, there there was real outrage that uh, the speaker didn't see that this was an, an important issue in the United States and that people really care about this and wanted to move on to other stuff, including some naming some post office, and that this was more important.
ultimately, what do you think the sit-in accomplished? Well, I don't know. I, I hope it'll accomplish that when they get back, uh, that the speaker will allow there to be taken up some uh, some measures on on common sense gun control. By then, we may have passed something in the in the Senate. I don't know. What happens in Washington after the Fourth of July holiday remains to be seen. More Minnesota matters after this. So you see, son, good manners are very, very important. Someday, many years from now, when you're a grown-up, you'll be a man. And when you are, you should be a gentleman. Do you want me to go through it one more time? Yes. Yes, please. Yes, please. Exactly. Always say please, thank you, you're welcome, and excuse me. Sit up straight, hold doors open for ladies. If a door's shut, then knock first. Don't burp, don't swear, don't speak with a mouthful, don't reach across people's plates, keep your elbows off the table. What table? And don't interrupt. While we're at it, don't stare, don't use foul language, don't call people names, but do remember people's names. Always share your toys, play nice, and cover your mouth when you cough or sneeze. On the bus, give up your seat to anyone who has trouble standing. Bottom line, treat others the way you'd like to be treated. Got it? Got it. And stop picking your nose. Most parenting is hard to do in just two minutes. But spending just two minutes twice a day making sure they brush their teeth is easier and could help save them from a lifetime of tooth pain. For fun two-minute videos to watch while brushing, visit 2min2x.org. That's 2min2x.org. A message from the Partnership for Healthy Miles, Healthy Lives, and the Ag Council. You, my friend, have connections in the government. Yes, you. USA.gov, the official source for government information on thousands of topics. And like any good connection, there's no telling where it can take you. Why, one day you're getting student loan information. Next thing you know, you need job hunting tips. Today's road construction info could have you searching for telecommuting ideas tomorrow. The more you use USA.gov, the more uses you'll find for it. Passport applications, for example. They've been known to lead to a sudden interest in travel advisories. Our new mobile apps will even update you on the go. So whether you have information to get or ideas to give your government, check out USA.gov. Who knows? Lottery results today could lead to retirement planning tomorrow. USA.gov. With the right connections, there's no telling where you can go. Welcome back to Minnesota Matters. The Minnesota State Fair announced its roster of new foods to be debuted at this year's Great Minnesota Get-Together. MNN's Tasha Radel has more. Thanks, Scott. This year, 32 new foods will be introduced at the State Fair. The list includes candy bacon donut sliders, Spam Sushi, candy bacon BLT, burnt butt ends, Spam curds and Iron Range meat and potatoes. Joining me now to talk about this year's additions is Dennis Larson. He's the licensed administration manager at the State Fair. So, Dennis, is there a process vendors have to go through when trying to get a new food item added? Well, it's it's always a, a challenging, fun, daunting process all at the same time um, to go through the uh, people that are looking at adding new food to the fair, and that is truly a new food and so on, and distill it down to what we think are the best of the best. So it's, a, like I say, a, a fun yet uh, challenging uh, uh, process that uh, sometimes take months and people think is an overnight success. <laughs> so You know, and that's what I was going to ask you. Um, can you kind of give, give us an idea of the process about how many people come out and, and and want to get into the fair. 
Yeah. Well, and I always make sure I want to clarify it's a kind of a two-part answer is some people get confused uh, that the new foods mean new people. But in fact, uh, coincidentally, this year, the uh, 32 new foods are all representative of people that are also incumbents that are already here at the fair. In fact, we have not selected any new people yet for the fair. That may happen, but it hasn't happened yet. So these are all coming from, I'll say, from, from within. <laughs> so... And, you know, when we're talking about, you had mentioned 32 new foods. Anything mm-hmm. that jumps out at you this year? Well, I always have to be careful that I don't show bias and that I'm picking one above the other. But I think in general terms, what I what I like most, and it's maybe a little bit even odd for our industry, but of the 32 things, we only have 10 sweet or dessert items. And we actually have 17 savory items and perhaps things that are savory that aren't traditionally savory. I think it's what's going to make it kind of fun. Like a, a monkey bread, we think of being kind of a knotted cinnamon roll that good for breakfast and so on. And in fact, this year we've got a cheesy French onion monkey bread. So kind of a who'd have thought, you know. Uh, French Meadow is doing uh, what they call a rustic beef pastry. They're building it, but actually it's a flattened out croissant with savory beef and flavorings on top of that. So kind of more, um, I I don't want to, I always struggle with the word high end. It sounds new to your white tablecloth. It's still fun food and good food, but just kind of in a different direction than what I think we typically do with a lot of sweet stuff or a lot of stuff deep fried on a stick. You know, and that kind of came to my mind when I was looking uh, at all the <clears throat> pictures and going through the list. To me, I, I know I'm not I'm not a food junkie, so I know I'm not using my <laughs> terms right, but it almost looked more gourmet to me. Yeah, yeah. I, I, and like I say, I, I'm always careful to say that, well, that won't be any fun, but I think we can still have fun food that's maybe healthy and maybe even nutritious. Uh, and uh, flavorful, but yet savory. And uh, I've kind of broken it down by basically five small plates of the restaurant savory appetizers, 17, I call them savory entrees, and then the 10 sweeter dessert type items. So I think it's a fun balance. And, you know, um, there was only a few things that were on a stick. Um, You know, even though they're not on a stick, you know, we kind of tend to take food that's on a stick and relate it to a fair. But when you read the new foods and what's in them and and that, it's still kind of got that fair flair, so to speak. Was that fair to say? Yeah, we. Well, I, I think what we want to pride ourselves on more so is something you can see here, try here, taste here first, or that you wouldn't normally get in a traditional setting. I think that's more the focus, and it's got to be on a stick, or it's got to be batter dipped, or it's got to be deep fried. Yeah, and to that point, I think there's only four items uh, on a stick this year, and only five of them that are actually deep fried. So of those 32 items, they're kind of non-traditional. <laughs> And, you know, um, is, do you think Minnesota pride itself on the, on the food we serve at the fair? Because I've been to a number of state fairs, and I'm, I'm biased. I think Minnesota has a really good fair. Well, thank you so much. Yeah, we are known in the industry as a as a, a food fair, and if not the best, maybe one of the best food fairs where people come here predominantly. And obviously, I, I, I've got a bias because that's the department I'm in. The fair has a potpourri of everything for everybody, but they really do gravitate towards the food, and that's proven in our sales numbers and in our visits to the website and the launch today, and then the food finder uh, on the web and so on, and just how much traffic there is. It is it does have a very high level of interest. All right. Well, those are some of the questions that I had today. Was there anything else you wanted to add or hit on that I didn't bring up? Um, no, I think that's. I think that pretty much sums it up. Like I say, it's it's not a lot of things on a stick, not a lot of things deep fried. We do have a few gluten free options, which we try to help with that with that market and that audience too. A couple new things there, some unique uh, spices and flavors, indigenous food that you can't get uh, again just anywhere. Uh, our friends at the Midtown Global Market have have a booth here, and we rotate out a couple of operators there so they can kind of get a try at it if you will, and that looks like some fun items there too. So, 
All right. Well, as always, we look forward to the fair. I don't want to wish summer away quite yet. Well, but, yeah, uh, kind of the double-edged sword, isn't it? We look forward to fair, but yet then the summer's over. So. I know. <laughs> that's what someone said today. They're like, oh, the new uh, fair food list is out. That means summer's over. Yeah. Here we are. <laughs> yeah. Again, so. Well, Dennis, thank Very you good. so much for your time. Absolutely. Nice to talk to you, Tasha. You can see the full list and pictures of the new fair foods at mnstatefair.org. That's mnstatefair.org. The Great Minnesota Get-Together runs August 25th through Labor Day. Back to you, Scott. Thank you, Tasha. I'll have more Minnesota Matters after this short break. As a young teenage boy, I didn't even know what autism was. How do you even spell that? A few years later, I heard that a friend's cousin's son had been diagnosed with autism. I still wasn't sure what that really meant. When I went to college, my roommate's brother had autism. When I moved to the city for work, my best friend called me and told me his son had been diagnosed with autism. We were both in shock. I still remember the day I walked into the house and saw that look on my wife's face. I knew something was wrong. I'll never forget how I felt when she said, our son has autism. Autism is getting closer to home. Today, one in 110 children is diagnosed with autism. That's a 600% increase in the last 20 years. Learn the signs at AutismSpeaks.org. Early diagnosis can make a lifetime of difference. Brought to you by Autism Speaks and the Ad Council. Welcome back to Minnesota Matters. For 33 years, the TV voice of summer to millions of baseball fans in the upper Midwest has been Dick Bremer, who mans the television booth for the Minnesota Twins broadcast. He's been through the ups and downs of every season and admits there have been a few more downtimes during this summer of 2016. MNN Sports Director Mike Grimm sat down with Dick Bremer at Target Field this week, and Dick says for more than three decades, time flies when you're having fun. It sure does, and it doesn't seem like it's been nearly that long, and I guess that means that I've really enjoyed it, Mike. Uh, I, I have vivid memories of those early years, and you know, back then, uh, the, the the plight of of the Twins organization was uh, in much more grave situation than it is now. So, I guess in some ways, the fact that uh, back in '83 and even into '84. Uh, the Twins weren't on anybody's radar screen has kind of helped me get through a season like this one. <laughs> well, that's what I was going to ask. There's been a lot of ups, a few downs. Uh, how is it nightly? I mean, you do 160 of these things, and when it's not good baseball, as it has not been some nights this year, how do you get through that and still try to make it an entertaining broadcast with Bert and Roy and everybody else? Well, you know what it's like because uh, you go through it too. The team might not be very good, but I I've still, and I'm sure you feel the same way, can't wait to get to the ballpark or the field or the court because you, you, you can't possibly know what's going to happen that particular right. game. You will see something that you've never seen before. Now, most of the time, you hope that that's something good. <laughs> and when you have a bad season, sometimes it's not. But this is, it's, it's a live sporting event. And, and we're going to see something here today that I've never seen before. And that helps keep it fresh. And you just hope that over the course of time, some of these young guys that the Twins have will figure some things out. And uh, uh, 
more of what you see for the first time will be good things rather than bad things. <laughs> How much too, I mean, you've kind of been the voice of summer for so many here in the upper Midwest, and now with Twitter and social media and stuff, you probably get more feedback than maybe ever. How, how refreshing is it when you hear from people in North Dakota, South Dakota, Iowa, Wisconsin, and Minnesota that, uh, hey, you, you keep us company for all these nights in the summer? Well, it's very gratifying, and, and one of the things I've always said that has made this so much fun for me is I'm from this area. And so, uh, not through social media so much, but uh, a few weeks ago, my elementary school teacher from this really small town in western Minnesota was coming to her first Twins game. And I got a chance to see her, and I hadn't seen her in 50 <laughs> years. And that's something that, was, that really touched my heart and, and something that really made, I don't even remember, I think the Twins won that game, but I didn't remember that. I remember being able to reconnect with somebody and, and, and being from this area. Uh, it happens all the time, whether we go out on a caravan, the twin speaking tour, and I run into a cousin that I haven't seen for a while. So that makes it special. And then the whole component of social media has added uh, both some good and some bad uh, uh, components to that. Uh, but, uh, you know, it's a different world. It's changed so quickly. And, and I don't know, frankly, Mike, you know, whether there, there's any business that has changed or will change more than you know, television in terms of how it's covering sports and all that. So we're, we're uh, buckling our seatbelt here. We expect we're going to be seeing a lot more changes down the road. 25-year anniversary uh, of the World Championship team of 91. What do you recall about that team? And I know there'll be some uh, certain things this year where you continue to do some celebrations and stuff, but that was a fun time, right? It sure was. The whole season was. And, and on a personal level, um, uh, uh, I was professionally distracted because I got engaged and got married. Uh, I got married the afternoon of game one of the 91 World Series. So I need to be careful how I answer this question because if all I talk about is the professional side of 1991, I'm gonna get in, gonna get in trouble back home. But it really was a magical year. And uh, a couple of weeks ago, Chili Davis, hitting coach for the Red Sox, was in town, and we had a chance to reminisce about it. It was really, really a fun year. Got off to a bad start, but they had a 15-game winning streak in the first couple of weeks of June, and from that point forward, they were the best team in baseball. Great chatting with you. I know it's uh, fun to hear your voice. Thank you. And we'll look forward to hearing yours here real soon. All right. Thank you, Dick. All right, Mike. That's Twins TV voice Dick Bremer with our Mike Grimm on Minnesota Matters. That's going to do it for this week. Thanks for listening, and please tune in again next time for Minnesota Matters on this MNN station.